Hello everyone, today we have a special guest named Erica Lacasse and she's going to tell us about her story, how she graduated from Cornell and then eventually started Cast Caps with her father. And in addition to that, she's also going to be a consultant at McKinsey. So it's a really interesting story to see how everything worked out, especially because she started with her father during the COVID-19 pandemic. Like, what kind of story is this? Like, who starts a business during the pandemic? She did. Hey everyone, uh, thank you so much for having me, Christine. I'm really happy to be here. Can you give us a short intro about yourself, either about your background or your career or your professional or personal background? Just to give a really short intro, my name is Erica and I actually was born in Brazil and grew up in Latin America, both Brazil and Mexico. And then I just recently graduated from Cornell uh, in December 2019, studying applied economics and management. While I was at Cornell, I was heavily involved on campus. I was a Division I varsity diver. I was also the VP of Phi Chi Theta, which is actually how I met Christine, and was also in Cornell Finance Club. Professional-wise, I actually had a very interesting, you know, zigzagging professional experience throughout college. I started off as a biological sciences major my freshman year, and then pivoted towards the business school my sophomore year. And that's kind of where I had, you know, three main internship experiences. The first was at a talent development uh, consulting firm in Spain. The second was at JP Morgan in wealth management. And the third was at McKinsey and Company in New York City. I'm actually going to be returning full time to McKinsey in a couple of weeks. So very excited. Um, but in the meantime, between graduating in December 2019 and, and now, I actually launched a company with my dad called Cast Caps and we just launched it over the summer. So it's been a very exciting year. <laughs> I guess I'm going to ask you the icebreaker that I have been asking to every guest that I had on these interviews. And that is, if you had all the time in the world, what would you be doing? I would try to learn every language. I know that sounds a little bit nerdy and cheesy, but I, I think languages are very beautiful. I actually speak three languages myself and have always been trying to learn more languages. Um, my mom speaks seven, my dad speaks five, my sister speaks four, and I guess I'm the straggler at three. But my sister and I, since we were very young, we always joked around how we wanted to, you know, beat my mom and learn more languages than her. So we're halfway there. We're, we're getting in there. <laughs> okay, so we're going to go right into some more personal questions. What do you wish you did more of or less of? And I think like because of the COVID-19 quarantine, this is probably something that we're thinking even more so because we're just trying to either wind down or even do more of something because it's almost like New Year's resolutions on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Um, I guess one of the things that I did more of is unplug from the world. Um, I think, you know, we, we live in a society where we're all very dependent on, you know, social media, on our laptops, on our phones, and we're always glued to them. And I kind of wish I wasn't so obsessed with checking my email or, you know, being next to my phone. And if mm -hmm. you know, I could just leave it on the table and go out for a nature walk, that that's what I wish I did more of. Mm -hmm. Um, less of, I guess, stressing out about things that don't really matter. Um, mm -hmm. I, I pay attention to the smallest of details of every little thing that I do. And, you know, it's a blessing and a curse because that drives me crazy sometimes. And sometimes it's for nothing because I stress out about things that don't really matter. So I really wish I maybe focused less on that. Mm -hmm. And have during the quarantine, has that helped you a little bit more to do some of this or do more of something like that? I, 
you know, I actually feel like it's been harder to unplug during the quarantine just because people haven't been going out as much. You know, yeah. you don't do a lot of the things that you used to. Like, I don't go on brunch, you know, go out for brunch mm-hmm. or for dinner with all of my friends as I used to. Um, I'm not hanging out with a lot of people as I used to. So I feel like we're actually trapped indoors watching more Netflix, watching more TV. (laughs) In a sense, I actually feel like it has worsened my Mm. um, connection to technology, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So uh, what is something that most people don't know about you? Um. I'm a pretty open book, but I guess if you don't know me, you might not know that I'm really accident prone for some reason. Um, <laughs> I've broken around 16 bones throughout my life. Oh so, my God. Yeah. <laughs> There's a story behind each one of them, but I've broken a lot of bones. Um, we already talked about languages, so I guess that's not really anything new, um, but I really love chocolate too. So if you want to weigh into my heart, it's it's through chocolate. <laughs> What's your favorite type of chocolate? Literally any type of chocolate. <laughs> I, I have hot chocolate every night. I eat bars of chocolate all the time. Wow. Chocolate, cookies, chocolate like chocolate everything. <laughs> okay, so now we're going to go right into the career section of this interview. It's not going to be just on your career. It's also going to be on your involvement with CASCAP. So just kind of basically anything work-related. But who knows? Maybe CASCAPS is not even work-related. It's just a passion project for you, too. So the first thing is, why did you get into consulting field and why McKinsey? Good question. This is this is a long one. This is a big one. Um, I really took my time in college to explore different potential career paths. And I think that's the beauty of college is that you get to adventure off into exploring what would be a good fit for you. Um, as I briefly mentioned earlier, I actually started off in biology and then, you know, I pivoted to HR and then to finance and consulting and entrepreneurship. So I've dabbled in a lot of different areas, but I ultimately landed in this path to consulting through mostly trial and error. Um, As I was saying, you know, the beauty of college and internship is that you get to explore and find your passion and path before you have to fully commit to it. Um, So I remember actually my I guess it was my sophomore year when I received the call that I received an internship for JP Morgan and wealth management. And I was ecstatic. I was like, I never have to recruit again. I never have to, you know, apply to any job. I'm just going to do great in this internship, come back my junior year, go back full time. And I'm all set for life. And, you know, that would have been a great story, but I ended up not liking the job. Mm. Um, You know, it's nothing against JP Morgan. It's nothing against wealth management or finance. It's, you know, quite the opposite. Um, I had a fantastic experience. The firm was wonderful. I learned so much about wealth management, about finance, about the markets, and I'm incredibly grateful for that experience. But it just wasn't the right fit for me. It's the right fit for a lot of people, but it wasn't for me. So I basically took the aspects that I liked about my internship, you know, the client focus, the thorough analysis, the thinking outside the box. um, And then I pivoted towards finding something that fit the things that I really liked. And that kind of took away from the things, the aspects that I did not like. And some of those aspects that I didn't like was, you know, falling into the same routine. So I kind of felt like what I was doing was the same every day, or I felt like I wasn't being challenged at times. And I wanted to be in a job where I was working in a dynamic environment where, you know, after two months of working on the job, you still didn't really know how to do it that well, because you were still learning. And like, that's where I want to be. 
So it was actually my boyfriend who at the time was working at EY as a consultant who initially planted that consulting seed into my head. Um, he literally watched me grow over the summer and I guess throughout college too. And after my reflection and realizations for my internship uh, and him watching me through that development process, he's the one who approached me with this unique perspective and said, you know, consulting might be a good fit for you. And sometimes it's the people that know you the best that can actually give you a nudge when you feel stuck because they have a very unbiased perspective. Um, they have an unbiased view of your skills and of you know your personality, your ambition, and what you might be good at, and they can have an objective take. So when my boyfriend, you know, pushed me towards, you know, planted that seed in consulting, I explored it more, and I ended up, you know, applying to consulting, ended up working at McKinsey, and I absolutely loved my internship there. But I think what's most important for when you're navigating and exploring different career paths is to understand that you'll never love it 100% of the time. You know, you're not going to love 100% of your job 100% of your time. But what my dad has always told me is that if you love your 80% of your job 80% of the time, then you're in a really good spot. Mm -hmm. And that would be for consulting. There are definitely aspects of consulting that I don't <laughs> like, but I love 80% of it 80% of the time. So that's how, you know, I, I think that this is the good path for me. That's an amazing quote, honestly. I didn't think about that. I just thought like you have to love your job or you have to hate your job. Nothing really in between. But I'm actually pretty curious now. What was that 20% that you didn't like? <laughs> yeah, so the biggest one was uh, waking up super early to catch a flight. I know that that might sound very <laughs> superficial, but I love sleep. Love, love sleep. I, I'm a true believer in like eight hours of sleep. And it was very hard for me to wake up at 4 a.m. on Mondays to go to the airport and catch mm -hmm. a 6 a.m. flight for three hours in an uncomfortable seat. The other thing that I don't like about it is that sometimes it's also very unpredictable. So you're very dependent on what you know the client needs and when. And sometimes things arise out of the blue and you just have to deal with it. And I guess that's with life. You know, it's not always predictable and you're going to have to handle things as they come. But my boyfriend's also a consultant. So it was just interesting because during my summer internship experience, you know, we were both traveling during the week and it was like the weekend was our time to be together. And then, you know, sometimes things would pop up either on his end or my end. And then that would kind of have a dent on our weekend. But, you mm -hmm. know, the, the negative aspects of it are definitely small. There's a yeah. lot more benefits that, that were yeah. great. <laughs> All right. So what is some advice for someone interested in consulting or McKinsey? Oh, good one. Um, <laughs> I think that there's two ways of knowing whether or not consulting would be a good fit for you. The first is doing it, obviously. And the second one is talking to as many people as possible who have done it. So if you think that you're interested in consulting, I can't stress enough how important it is to reach out to as many people as possible, alumni, peers, anyone that you know that is in consulting, to learn about their experiences. Because as you learn about their experiences and their day-to-day, -day, and you have those different perspectives from different people, that's when you can kind of get a, you know, put the puzzle pieces together and see if that would be a good fit for you or not. And then if you think that consulting would be a good fit for you and, you know, you, you can work in ambiguity, you can work with waking up at 4 a.m. to catch those flights <laughs> um, and work with the fact that, you know, every couple of months or so, you're going to have to switch your projects and learn about a new industry and learn about a new function and be able to do that pivot every time. So if you think that those things, you know, sound like something that you'd be up for, 
then I would recommend exploring some consulting resources and starting the prep work for it. Because I'm not going to lie, you know, consulting prep is is pretty intense. <laughs> if you've been through it, um, I know, Christine, you can probably attest to this too. It's, it, it, it's tough. Um, but with the right motivation and preparation, you can definitely walk into an interview very confident. So I would recommend checking out, there's one resource I really like. It's Victor Chang's book called Case Interview Secrets. Victor Chang was actually an ex-McKinsey guy who now, you know, writes blogs and, and helps out uh, students looking into going into the consulting world. And I love this book. I should honestly get a royalty by for the amount of time that I've <laughs> this book, because I literally recommend this to everyone who tells me like that they think they're interested in consulting. So Victor Chang, if you're listening to this, like, <laughs> um, but it's a really good book. It, it teaches you, you know, kind of the basics of consulting. It teaches you the basics of how to approach a case study. So I think it's a really great way to dip your toes. And if you enjoy the process of going through these case prep, you know, uh, case studies and, and practicing and, and you enjoy that process, then that's actually a really good indication that you're probably going to enjoy the job because that's essentially what the job is. Case studies are like mini engagements that are hyper-focused for just your one hour interview, but that's literally what the job entails. So if you like that process, it's a good indication. And, you know, on the other end, if you hate case prepping and you hate doing, you know, uh, case studies, then that's also probably an indication that you might not actually like the job. So I personally have not actually heard of someone say, try the cases first, try case prepping and then see if that's something that you like. I've always just heard, do your networking, have an internship, but nothing as something as concrete as actually doing a case, which I mean, in hindsight, it makes a lot of sense because each client, each project is essentially a case that you're trying to crack a problem and try to solve it. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I still think it's important to, to network and to talk yeah, to people. Yeah. Again, talking to as many people as possible in the field that you're interested in mm -hmm. is a good way to learn about what the job really entails. But doing case prepping is also a good way to kind of mm -hmm. see, you know, what it would be like. Yeah, something I've actually also been recommending to people is that Victor Chang also has a YouTube channel. That's actually how I did a lot of case prep too, is that he did basically like recorded all his lectures talking about how mm -hmm. to do your case interviews and how to prep and everything like that. That's like mostly was my resource when I did it. Um, I didn't knew I didn't even know about the book at the time, but I mean, his YouTube channel was like completely free. So if you don't want to pay money and you, I mean, you should still buy the book though, but if you well, don't want to pay I the money and you want to find... Free resources, the YouTube channel is also good too. I actually didn't even know about the YouTube channel. So <laughs> the thing is everywhere, I guess. <laughs> um, I know that he does have a website too. And his website was also very helpful. He has some like yep. math girls in there. He has some, I think you can also purchase like the look over my shoulder cases where mm -hmm. he basically records him giving case studies to different students. And he has like wow. what a case study should be like and then what a case, should, case study should not be like so that you can kind of, you know, see both sides of the spectrum. So he definitely has a lot of resources out there. Didn't tap into all of them, obviously, because I didn't even know about the YouTube channel. <laughs> but uh, seems like you agree with me then that he would be a really great person to start with. <laughs> definitely. And so just like moving over into Cast Caps, you also made mm -hmm. a Kickstarter campaign for your startup and product Cast Caps. Can you tell us about how that came to be and how it even like unraveled? That's like a, what? That's like during the summer, which is, I don't know, very small, but ended up becoming really big. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot that I can say about Cast Caps. <laughs> um, it's been an incredible journey, but I guess just to start with what Cast Caps even is, um, 
It's a patented cap that goes on spice jars and it eliminates the need for measuring spoons by measuring straight out of the bottle. So the cap allows you to select, you know, between a quarter and half a teaspoon, and then you just flip the, the bottle with the spices in the cap and you twist it. And then depending on what you selected, that amount is what's dispensed out of it. So it was basically a way to eliminate measuring spoons. Um, and the story behind it is actually kind of bizarre, but my dad came up with this idea about 25 years ago when he was working um, in the food industry. He was working for Chiquita Banana and he was always interested in like kitchen gadgets for some reason. And he was baking bread with my mom and he got very frustrated with like measuring out the dill and the rosemary and like all of the little spices that went into the bread. So he literally was like, I wish you could just measure straight from the bottle. But he was young, he didn't have money, he was you know, working full time. So it wasn't something that he could really explore. And it wasn't until, you know, about five years ago when he retired from the corporate world that he decided to give, uh, you know, what's now Cast Caps another shot. So he hired a contract engineer, he filed a patent and he was granted a patent. He, you know, developed some of the preliminary designs. He 3D printed some prototypes. But at that point, he had invested a lot of, you know, time and energy and, and money to, to it. And he kind of wanted to just retire. So he left it there. And then me, energetic Erica, about to graduate from college <laughs> uh, about a year ago, knowing that I already had a job secured with McKinsey um, in fall 2020, and knowing that I was pretty far ahead in my coursework where I'd be able to graduate early, I thought, you know, why not graduate early and try to do something entrepreneurial? I've, I've always been like my dad, pretty, you know, innovative, always thinking about new ideas, and I really wanted to start something. And my dad convinced me that there was no way that I would be able to bring, you know, a concept that I had in my head all the way to market in just eight months, which is like what I had at that time. Right. So he told me, you know, that takes a lot of time, but why don't you just take over my half-baked cast caps idea? It wasn't called cast caps then, but why don't you just take over my spice measuring cap idea? <laughs> And that's kind of when my dad and I decided to partner together and we we started Cast Apps together. So we picked up where he left off uh, with the 3D printed prototypes. We continued with all of the, the design, the final works, adding new features, taking out some features, improving the design until we finally finalized it. And then we you know talked to different manufacturers and we lined up our injection molding facility, our manufacturer and kind of got everything together and then we just recently launched our Kickstarter campaign um, in August, so this summer, and it was incredibly successful. It was more successful than we could have anticipated. Um, we're extremely happy with the results, and it's just been an incredible experience to, you know, just a year ago from today, be thinking about doing this, and then now having actually, you know, launched it, we're in the middle of manufacturing, we're very excited to fulfill our orders from Kickstarter, and, and see where it takes us, so. How is life working with family? Uh, what do you guys do when there are disagreements, especially if you are mixing in family with business? It's just like very, I don't know, it's a very blurry line there in terms of like, you, you know, I'm just imagining uh, people screaming at Thanksgiving about like, you're supposed to do this, you're supposed to do that. So I'm just curious, like, how did you guys <laughs> go around this? <laughs> this is a, a very tricky question and it, it's inevitable you know working with family is bound to bring up some disagreements um i'm very very close with my dad um throughout college i would literally call him every single night 
and I'd call my parents every single night and, and talk to them. So I've always been very close to my dad. And the one thing that we agreed with, you know, starting business together on Cast Caps is that we did not want to jeopardize our relationship, regardless of how the business went. So it might sound kind of, you know, tough, but we actually created an internal contract where we literally physically signed a contract devising, you know, what our roles were and what was expected out of each other and, you know, how much finance was him contributing, me contributing. Like we literally were very upfront about what our expectations were from each other to make sure that if things got heated at any moment, we could always go back to it and remember, you know, that our relationship as father and daughter comes first um, between, you know, that like family comes first, then, then our business. And we wanted to make sure that nothing would cause a fallout in the future. So that was something that we were very diligent with doing from the beginning. Now, of course, we still have a lot of arguments and I'm very similar to my dad, uh, which is great. And which is also terrible because we both have very strong opinions and we're very, you know, <laughs> we have strong opinions. So we clash sometimes. Um, I feel very strongly about doing it this way and he feels very strongly about doing it that way. But this is where we kind of, you know, things get too heated. We just take a step back and we, we, we try to separate the emotion and the family side out of it and just concentrate on, you know, the business side of it. Like what makes sense for the business and for the future and for this and for that. So it is hard sometimes to split the two. But um, I think that being upfront from the beginning on what the expectations are and making sure to pause and take a step back if things do get heated is the most important aspect of working with family. And also, is there a misconception people usually have of the entrepreneurship process? Um, I'll admit this too. You know, when I wanted to start my company last year, I was just like, oh, this will be great. You know, I have eight months. Eight months is so much time. Like, you know, in one month, we'll finalize the design and then we're going to manufacture it for two more months and then we're going to sell it and then we're going to be done. And like in five months, this is going to be done. That's not how it works at all. There's so many different curveballs. There's so many different things that you have to think about. And I think a lot of people might not realize that in the beginning. And it's something that you kind of get introduced to pretty early on into the process um, as you're starting your own company. But the amount of work that actually goes into it is is pretty overwhelming at times. And it's not always a straightforward path. As an entrepreneur, you really do wear like 50,000 hats at the same time, because especially our team, like our team is predominantly just my dad and I. So we're literally in charge of everything. And that can be overwhelming if you don't plan it right. So I think sometimes people forget that, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of moving parts. There's legal, there's manufacturing, there's marketing, there's customer service, there's sales, there's, you know, you, you are all of it. <laughs> um, but then the other thing too, that I think that there's a misconception is that it's always going to be, you know, breezy and you're going to get a lot of support along the way. Mm. Yes, you will get a lot of support from friends and family. And yes, you'll get, you know, a lot of support for being like a small business and a startup. And there's a lot of people who want to see you succeed, but there's also a lot of mean people out there. And, you know, I, I will say that you you kind of do have to have tough skin. And that's one realization that has really, you know, hit me hard over this past year. It's that for any entrepreneur or anyone starting a business or, you know, even you with this YouTube channel and, and starting something, something new, you know, most people, I mean, not all, but most people have really good intentions and they want mm -hmm. to share with the world something that they find very valuable. You know, whether it be me with Cast Caps or you with your podcast, like we want to share new things with the world. Right. 
but it doesn't fit everyone's needs. And, you know, that's why there's markets because, you know, the market for, you know, XYZ product is different than the market for that product because some people will be attracted to some things and some people will be attracted to others. But there's a lot of hate in the world. And I think that mm -hmm. that's one thing that, you know, I'm, I'm very, it was a big wake up call, I guess, over the past year was that especially with the anonymity of like online commenting and advertising right. and stuff that it's a very powerful tool for people to do a lot of damage to you personally and they might not even realize it so mm -hmm. to anyone who's watching this you know if even if you don't agree with a new product that's coming out in the market you might not be the target but that doesn't mean that you should be putting that person down or that company down you might think that it's a big corporation but like cast cast for example it's just two people on the other end and when people are very mean and criticizing a video that I spent, you know, hours in my basement filming and perfecting and editing and doing all sorts of things. And then when people bring it down, it brings me down personal. Mm -hmm. So I think that the other misconception with just startups is that it's all going to be, you know, a lot of support and all like rainbows and roses. It, it can get tough, especially when, when people try to bring you down. But the important thing to remember is that, you know, you can't look at those negative comments as, as your, your driver you should just really look at your supporters and your believers for that motivation and let them fuel your drive, not the haters, you know, to cut it short. That's a great point. Uh, and speaking of hardships, I'm actually pretty curious because you kept on talking about like talking about manufacturers and also like, especially a tight timeline that you have. How did you guys manage through this COVID-19 pandemic, especially starting during the pandemic, not even just like trying to stay functioning? <laughs> Yeah, so everything for our company started to really pick up around, you know, February, March, which is also when the pandemic also kind of, you know, hit the strongest or, or started to really, you know, ramp up. And there was a point where we were debating whether or not it made sense for us to start a company right now. We're like, there's so much uncertainty in the world. We don't even know what's going to happen, you know, a week from now. Like, is this really the right time to be starting something? But the pandemic, you know, my parents were building a house and the pandemic brought my entire family back under one roof. As we kind of did more of that, you know, soft stuff that wasn't fully committing to it, we realized we were getting a lot of support from it. And we decided that it, it did make sense for us to move forward, um, especially since we were all there to collaboratively work together under the same roof. And some of the hardships that we faced, you know, we, we faced a lot of them. Um, there were a lot of supply shortages in areas that you wouldn't expect. Um, you know, there were there was a point where we were bottles, for example, like uh, spice bottles. You would think that, you know, those would be readily available, but literally all suppliers were sold out of spice bottles. Wow. And that's literally <laughs> part of, of our product. And it was just like doing a lot of research to make sure that we had all of our ducks lined up because there was a lot of sh supply shortages in different areas. Uh, manufacturing facilities, for example, were also shut down because manufacturing was supposed to be for only um, essential items. Mm -hmm. So obviously cast caps is not essential, which is completely <laughs> understandable, but that also put a, a damper on, you know, our manufacturing capabilities and on our timeline because we, we weren't able to manufacture when we were actually ready. And then, you know, of course, you have the fear of the unknown and debating or not, you know, whether or not this was still a good time to do it. So there was definitely a lot of hardships, but it's just taking one thing at a time. And if a problem comes up, you try to problem solve, try to see what are the potential alternative solutions and, and kind of just take it day by day, problem by problem. 
So something that's important when it comes to uh, the COVID-19 pandemic is that you're just basically going to go stay at home. You're all stir crazy. So what were some things that you guys did to at least stay sane or help with your mental and emotional health? I think it was just always having a plan. So I think part of what drives you crazy too is if, if you don't really know, like being anxious about not knowing what's next, I think is what really drives people crazy. Yeah. So if you have some sort of a plan, then you have goals to work towards. And that kind of makes that time not feel like you're wasting it or not feel like you're not doing something useful for it because you, you're, you're working towards a goal and you have a plan set out to reach that goal. So like I said, in the beginning, when everything was truly locked down, like no one was walking out, we turned our kitchen into literally a, a videography studio where we were doing our cooking vlogs. So if you look at Cast Cap's Instagram, I made a lot of cooking videos showing how to use our product and stuff to try to create a community of food lovers. So we would literally, you know, we would only go grocery shopping, but we'd buy a ton of groceries. And then every single day, like my mom, my sister and I would make these cooking videos. And <laughs> there was a purpose behind them. It was to build out our social media platform and it was engaging. And, you know, we had a lot of really good food that month, different recipes every <laughs> way. <laughs> um, but we always had a goal to work towards. So then, you know, it also came to the part of like, okay, now we have to start the Kickstarter video. So yeah. it was like, let's dedicate this day to doing all the script writing and shooting the video and editing it. And then we also have to figure out our packaging. So let's dedicate this day to like designing our packaging and ordering it and figuring out what company we want to partner with. And we, we just had a plan in place. And I think that that is what kept us sane is, again, having the plan and working towards a common goal. Mm -hmm. So it's essentially like order within chaos or try to put order to chaos. On the same lines, what were the important <laughs> lessons that you learned along the way? I've made so many mistakes. And I think that that's <laughs> literally lesson number one is that you are going to make mistakes along the way. There's no avoiding it. You can be the most cautious person who does all of the research in the world and you're still going to make mistakes. So I think a really big lesson there is to accept the fact that you're going to make mistakes. And when the mistakes mm -hmm. come along, don't try to beat yourself up for it, but rather yeah. learn from that mistake and then try to mitigate the impact of that mistake. But just accept that it's there because it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And then another thing that I really learned from this process was that whenever you plan something, whether it be a timeline or whether it be some sort of budget or model, you always have to give yourself some breathing room. If you think that it's going to take you three months to do something, budget for it. If you think that it's going to take you X amount of dollars to do this, budget 2X. Because one thing that I've learned for sure from this whole process is having some working room from the beginning when you're budgeting and you're, when you're making your timeline and when you're making your financial budgets, it's really important so that you can have a more realistic, holistic picture. There's going to be a lot of hidden costs. There's going to be a lot of you know hidden rocks on the road. And if you give yourself breathing room from the beginning, you'll be able to kind of you know anticipate those. So I'm curious, uh, what were some of the mistakes that you guys made or were you specifically, if anything? Uh, so many. <laughs> um, I think one of them was probably uh, shipping was one of the mistakes that we made. And I'll openly talk about this. Shipping is really expensive. And I think that, you know, the Amazons of the world who are offering two day free shipping have also kind of ruined the perception but from the customer, the customer's expectations of shipping are very different. Because I admit, I even expect shipping to be free for all sorts of things, right? Because Amazon has ruined me forever. But the truth <laughs> is that shipping is not free. And shipping is actually very expensive. 
And when we realized how expensive it would be to ship our bottles and caps because of the weight and the dimensions, we wanted to subsidize a lot of it because we didn't want our our customers to, mm. to have to, you know, have all of those, like have the burden of all of those costs. So we did subsidize a lot of it, but we also didn't take into account, you know, the, the handling fees, which is actually something that adds a pretty significant amount to those shipping costs and international shipping. For example, we also didn't realize that there's, uh, you can deliver, deliver duties paid or deliver duties unpaid, which means your international person in the UK will either receive their package right in their first step and all of the duties will be paid, or it's going to arrive at a customs facility and then they're going to have mm. to go there. They're going to have to pick it up. They're going to have to pay VAT. And that's a negative experience for them. Right. So there's just a lot of little implications with shipping that we didn't realize. And we ended up eating, you know, a lot of money. <laughs> um, <laughs> we don't want to upset our customers. So we assumed, you know, we understand that we recognize the mistake and we are not going to relay any financial, you know, additional financial burden to our customers. We're going to eat it. But it was a pretty heavy, you know, mistake mm-hmm. or just something as simple as shipping that you might not think right. too much. But it's things like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when you mentioned customers, what, do you have customers separate from Kickstarter or were they solely Kickstarter customers? So right now, our goal is on fulfilling Kickstarter orders because they were our initial supporters. Our Kickstarter campaign was our our first launch. So the 1,200-ish people that supported us on Kickstarter, those are our true first supporters that we're going to, you know, they're our priority. Mm -hmm. However, we're also looking into ordering or into starting a pre-order store where people who missed out on the Kickstarter campaign but would still like to support the company and purchase cast caps um, will still have the opportunity to do so. So we, we will open the doors for uh, new customers, so to say. Okay, sounds good. And those links will be down in the description down below. So if you want to have some cast caps, you have the opportunity. So this is just going to be mostly on a general question on you seem to come from a background of innovation and problem solving from FICA Theta to consulting to cast caps. Have you always been like that? What, what's your story behind that? I think I have always been very intellectually curious. And again, earlier when we talked about, you know, what motivates me and what drives me, and I always said, it's like, it's learning and it's growing and it's developing. And it's just, you know, that sense of accomplishment um, at the end of like beating a challenge. And I, I really do think that I've always been intellectually curious. And when I was thinking back on this, when I was little and I was living in Mexico, I was probably seven years old, maybe six, seven, seven years old, probably. <laughs> I started a company with my sister. Her name is Tammy. And we called it TNE Company. My sister and I, we, we had two customers, my mom and my dad. <laughs> now you're like, what, what the heck is this company? Well, my sister and I hated doing chores. And we were trying to find a creative way to get out of doing chores. So we decided to build TNE Company to basically charge our parents for us to do the chores that we were supposed to do anyway. And my dad, you know, being the businessman and the entrepreneur himself, he actually played along with it. And he's the one who taught me how to use Excel. So he literally gave me like this really old laptop. He opened up Excel and he showed me, you know, how to do a sum formula and just how to like literally set up Excel. We literally created all these light items of chores that we were supposed to do anyway. And I put dollar amounts to them. It was also ridiculous. I charged my parents like $300 to feed the dog. Seven-year-old Erica <laughs> didn't know what the value of money was. But the point was that we literally created a business to charge my parents to um, do our chores. And my sister and I thought that we were so clever 
But my dad was actually the real clever one because every time we would do our chores, my dad, who showed me how to do the spreadsheet, he would always be like, oh, just add it to our tab. Like, just add it to our tab, as in, like, the spreadsheet. And he's like, we'll pay you in check, like, at the end of the year, which he never (laughs) did. So basically, T&E Company has about a million dollars worth of debt um, to be collected from my parents. (laughs) But that silly example just literally goes to show that even when I was very little, I was always thinking of innovative ways to do something, um, you know, to start something. And TNE Company was my first real company. <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool. I, I like, honestly, your dad seems to be so amazing. He seemed to be like not only just a good businessman, but also a good father. I mean, I guess in a way that they're teaching you lessons, but you're supposed to be owed $1 million. I guess that's. I don't know. He's in debt now, but <laughs> um, I guess you paid your debt by your involvement in cast caps. But uh, it, well, wow, that's definitely like a fun story to tell. Uh, I honestly, I wish I had something like that. I just, I didn't even get quarters for washing the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my dad has been a really great role model to me my entire life. Um, I've really looked over to him and. And I mean, I guess it kind of shows through this interview too, just how close my dad and I have always been, Um, which is why I said again, how it's important to separate your family relationship from your business relationship if you do go into business with your family. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, they, you know, both my parents and my sister, we've always been close and they've all been really great role models to me. (laughs) Okay. So if you had one piece of advice for someone that wants to start their own startup, what would it be? Love it. Well, the key to start a startup is to start. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I know that it sounds kind of daunting, but if you have great ideas in your head, you should start acting on them to make it into a reality or else they're just going to be that ideas in your head that never, you know, have anything happen to them. And it can be like my dad who had this idea 25 years ago and it doesn't come into fruition until, you know, 25 years later. But if you have an idea that you think is worth pursuing, start acting on it as soon as possible. If you're a student, you should definitely leverage all of your university resources. I started, you know, I dipped my toes into entrepreneurship my last year at Cornell, and I was just amazed by the amount of resources that they had dedicated to entrepreneurs and student entrepreneurs. There's so many opportunities out there for funding, for mentorship, for advice, for all sorts of things. So definitely try to leverage all of those resources if you can. If you're not a student, you can still leverage, you know, the internet, you can still leverage books, you can still leverage podcasts, you can still leverage networks. So reach out to alumni peers and people have started companies. And again, you know, hear about their stories and see about how they did this and how they did that. So before my Kickstarter, for example, I reached out to some other successful Kickstarter campaigns. I reached out to maybe like a hundred of them on LinkedIn and one responded, but that one person was all that I needed. Mm -hmm. He Matt from Tidyboard, he was a great mentor to me. He literally sat down with me for like an hour and wow. just told me all sorts of things that were really helpful in when, you know, before I launched my Kickstarter. So there's definitely a lot of things that you can be doing to kind of learn whether or not you have a valuable idea, like a good idea that is worth pursuing. So apart from doing all that research and leveraging all the resources out there, I would also, you know, if it's just you, I would try to find a potential co-founder that has mm-hmm. complementary skills. So if you're a business person and you have like a specific product, then maybe hire an engineer to be your co-founder. Because if you guys are co-founders and partners, you'll be you know more incentivized to work together and you'll be right. motivated and inspired to work together. Mm-hmm. Um, so create a plan, find a partner, 
try to create a prototype if it's, you know, a physical product or even if it's an app, you know, create a, a prototype, even if it's very crude, just to kind of see, you know, if it works or if it, there's viability to it and, and interview customers, potential customers and see if you're really fitting, you know, a, a problem that's out there. But again, everything's an idea up until you start acting on it. So mm-hmm. This is the last question I have on this section. And with all of this, what are your tips for time management and work-life balance? And I think we've kind of briefly touched this a little bit more about like your mental and emotional health, but on the outside, outside of your career, outside of cast caps, like what would you be doing to kind of mitigate time management and work-life balance issues? So another great quote from the wise man, my dad, (laughs) he always tells me, don't forget to smell the roses. I'm pretty sure he didn't make up that quote. He got it from somewhere, but he always tells me, don't forget to smell the roses. And I think that that's, you know, really important because sometimes we are, you know, we're so motivated to work and we work really hard, but it's important to take a step back and enjoy the simple pleasures of life because or else, you know, what are you working so hard for if you're not going to take the time to actually enjoy life? Um, You know, so whether that means taking a 15 minute walk, um, around the block to just ease your mind or whether that means, you know, sitting down for dinner with your boyfriend or your loved ones, or just talking on the phone with your parents, find time for the things that are really important. And, you know, cause that, that's, that's the only way to live. In my opinion, I don't think you should right. be so focused on working that you neglect all of the other things that are important in life. Mm-hmm. And then one of the other big points of advice. I don't know if that, if it's come through yet through this interview, but I'm a really big planner. I like having things planned out, even though I know that, you know, most of the times it's not going to go exactly as planned, but I like having a rough idea, a rough trajectory of where I'm headed and what's going on. So one of my biggest advice is to plan. If you can anticipate when you're going to be really busy or when you're going to have a heavier workload or when you're going to have a lighter workload, then you can better balance out your time so that you can have a more balanced life. So planning is important. Another point of advice is to make a habit of engaging on a healthy hobby so that you, you know, have a go-to strategy to deal with your stress. So for me, I kind of mentioned this earlier, it's drawing. It's pencil drawing with a Warwick candle um, and just letting my mind go, you know, be creative for the night. So I think having hobbies is is also important um, and a good way to, you know, balance out the stress in your life. Mm-hmm. And I know this is like a little probably not going to be possible, but did you start any quarantine hobbies? I know like probably any of your free time was probably used on cast caps or on drawing with your Warwick candle. But did you have any like quarantine hobbies that everyone's talking about, like baking something or going on new walks or even, I don't know, starting new workouts? <laughs> so I think cooking it's kind of like an obvious one because like Cast Cap is all about cooking and I had to literally start a cooking video. So I became a lot more in tune with cooking and with baking and using spices, which, you know, it's kind of funny because before I used to never really cook with a lot of spices, but as I've grown Cast Caps and created these recipes with lots of spices, it's so amazing what they can do. So definitely something that I've done a lot more during quarantine is, is cooking and exploring in the kitchen. Um, I really like baking. Actually, not really baking. I really like decorating. So like pencil drawing, I've always been creative with, you know, like the details on the outside. But so I don't love baking, but I love decorating cakes that I bake. And that's actually always been a hobby of mine. You can ask all my friends. I'm always happy to find an excuse to bake someone a cake just so that I can decorate it like very intricately. 
So uh, that is the end of our career segment. And then we're going to move into more about the women's segment. So what are some challenges that you have faced as a woman? So anything that could be career related or personal related or anything like that? And how did you overcome that? This is a really interesting question, because to be completely honest, you know, whether I was interning in finance or consulting or whether I was talking to contractors with cast caps related things, I never saw myself as female versus male or like young versus old. I kind of just saw myself as maybe it was just me being naive, but I never really, you know, compared myself to anyone else. I just kind of went in as, as me. And I've actually experienced something pretty interesting with cast caps in the sense that my dad is my partner and he's a lot older and I'm young and he's male and I'm female. And we actually had this experience with one specific contractor that I'm the person who reached out to them. I was the point of contact. I built the relationship. I started everything. Like I was literally the lead on this one specific, you know, work stream, I guess you're going to say like workflow. Mm -hmm. And every time we had like a, a phone conference, I was always disregarded. I'm literally the one who built that relationship and did everything for it. And yet every time I would say something, the other person would just be like, and Mark, like, what are your thoughts? And then my dad would say exactly the same as me. And they're like, wow. okay, point. And I'm like, I just said that. Like, <laughs> um, but I think that, you know, I don't really know whether that was an age thing or a, you know, female versus male thing. But a realization that I guess I've had is that, regardless of whether it's through cast caps or if it's, you know, me through consulting or, or being in, you know, in finance, uh, which have been predominantly, you know, male dominated for so many years, it, you're going to experience some of this. And I've just come to accept it that there's going to be times where perhaps I won't be taken as seriously or that I will be disregarded, but I never really go in with the mindset of that. I always go in with the mindset right. that I am equal to everyone around me and I think sometimes that naiveness in a sense is, is mm -hmm. kind of a blessing because I, I don't see it that way. Definitely. Like now that I'm actually in the workplace, especially with consulting, I've actually definitely seen not necessarily male versus female, but the age thing, because mm -hmm. um, especially a lot of our clients are going to be like, you just graduated from college. Like, why do we need to listen to you? Like, what experience do you have? And then they always look at the management director or the managers, but then they kind of like overlook all of the analysts and whatnot. But um, I think at the end of the day, it's really just building a report and then actually trying to show people that like, I actually know my stuff. And at the end of the day, they start to put us on equal standing. Yeah. And kind of what you just said, it, it's exactly that with consulting because I mean, and, and you get, I get it, you know, in the yeah. perspective of like someone who just hired a consultant to have, you know, a 22 year old fresh out of college to be telling you how to run the business that you've been running for 20 years. Like I can see their point of view. But, you know, it's just like you said, you just have to build your credibility, just do your work to the best of your ability and to present it. And then hopefully, you know, that that kind of perception will will dismantle and your mm -hmm. true worth will, will shine through. Definitely. And uh, what are some pitfalls you notice women do and what have you done to get out of it? I think some of the pitfalls that women fall under is making themselves small um, they kind of allow themselves to cave in and they lose confidence when they really need it the most, especially if they're surrounded by people who they're intimidated by, you know, whether that be older people, more senior people or, or males or, you know, whoever it is. Um, I think women tend to, to cave in and kind of lose their confidence quickly. So 
what I kind of do to mitigate this is surround myself with very empowering women, uh, especially entrepreneurial women who can kind of rub off on me that, that great, confident, powerful leader spirit. Um, while I was at Cornell, I was a part of the We Cornell program, which is actually called the Women Entrepreneurs you know, Cornell program. And I was very lucky to have an amazing female mentor who was an incredible angel throughout my whole entrepreneurial journey thus far. And I truly believe that when you surround yourself with people that you admire, with people that, you know, inspire you and motivate you, they rub off on you and you become like that. So I, I recommend, you know, surrounding yourself as much as possible with these types of people with who you want to be, because that's, you know, they're going to rub off on you. And, and that's mm-hmm. what you ultimately get to. <laughs> Yeah, I'm actually a very strong believer of like, you are the people that are like the five closest people around you. That's like something that I like to surround myself Mm -hmm. by strong, independent, and ambitious women too, because Mm -hmm. that's actually something that I completely believe in. If I have one person that's maybe a weak link that is negative, I just cut them out. They're just, you're not needed here. You're just going to tell me things that I'm going to start to doubt myself. And you, I mean, it's a lot of like human nature here where- Whoever is around you, you're going to start to believe that's what you are. That's what you are meant to do. But if you surround yourself with a very strong people that know that there's better to life than just these small little hardships, but to keep going forward, that's exactly what we need to be doing. And that's, I'm really happy that that also worked out for you too. Yeah. I think it's actually like a, a, a proven theory, maybe not proven, but I, I've definitely heard of it, that it's like, you're the average of yeah. the five or seven, something like that. Yeah. people closest to you. So mm-hmm. surround yourself by inspiring and motivated and amazing people. And that's what I hope to be the average of. <laughs> and since you are also a Phi Chi Theta brother and now alumni, uh, can you tell us about how did your experience at Phi Chi Theta help you today? My PCT experience has helped me in a variety of ways. I was actually part of the first class of Phi Chi Theta at Cornell. Um, so I had a pretty interesting and pretty unique experience. So again, PCT was brand new and it was in a pretty saturated you know, space market. Uh, Cornell already had four other business fraternities on campus. So a lot of what we did with Phi Chi Theta was try to differentiate ourselves and kind of you know, show how we were different. So my experience at PCT was quite entrepreneurial since we were essentially like a new company that needed to market themselves, right. Mm -hmm. To attract good customers, new members and establish their credibility, differentiate themselves from competitors, which were other, you know, business grads and business clubs and who wanted to add value to all of the students at Cornell. So that's where we became very creative in offering things that other business fraternities were not offering and didn't create yet. And we were building ourselves to be the strong organization that we are today. So mm-hmm. as a vice president for a couple of years, I had a very hands-on experience, you know, problem solving with other great leaders in the organization mm-hmm. um, to grow and improve it. So sitting in those round tables, you know, problem solving with such a dedicated and enthusiastic group of people shaped a lot of how I problem solve and a lot of how mm-hmm. I look at things today. And when I actually started my startup, Cast Caps, PCT was one of my biggest community of support. And it was incredible to see how on day one, as soon as I hit that launch button on Kickstarter, I had so many PCT, like alumni, current students supporting the campaign. And it was it was a very warm feeling. It, it was really great to see that. Mm-hmm. But something else that I wanted to bring up to this was that I had 
a unique experience with a coffee chat, the, you know, very famous PCT coffee chats that, you know, members have with potential new members. Um, I met with a freshman who was undergoing the new member education process. Uh, his name's Ben. Ben ended up being my marketing lead for Cast Caps because during our coffee chat, we talked about, you know, my company and it was just getting started because this was a year ago. So we just talked about, you know, what my company was, where, where I was thinking about heading and what I wanted to do with it. And then Penn told me about his interests and his past work. And he ended the chat with, let me know if you need any help. I'm interested. And bam, <laughs> little did he know that that sentence would be the catalyst to me bringing him on to our team. PCT then, you know, created a variable value, a very valuable connection for both Ben and I. I received excellent help with my marketing strategy throughout, you know, CastCaps' launch and preparation for the Kickstarter, during the Kickstarter, and even now post-Kickstarter. And Ben received arguably one of the best experiences that a freshman mm -hmm. could have you know, received with a hands-on role in a startup's successful launch. So thank you, PCT, for that. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is definitely an amazing story. And everyone knows that it's very difficult to get an internship as a freshman. And he got basically the best experience of being at least the very early stage of this product that will eventually start to blow up. <laughs> yeah. And I literally told him, I was like, you can literally put on your resume that you helped a yeah. company raise $88,000 in one month um, in sales. <laughs> and, you know, you were the chief marketing officer. Like he, he was <laughs> instrumental to, to our growth and to a lot of our marketing strategy. So it, it was a great experience for both of us. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Okay, and that is actually going to be the conclusion of our interview. We're going to go a little bit more into an outro. So what have you been up to lately? I'm hearing a lot of sirens. I think you've just moved into New York City. So I'm curious about how that experience was, especially during the pandemic, too. So I'm just curious about what have you been up to and how can we find you on social media? Yeah, so spot on. I did just move to New York City. Um, I actually just moved to Brooklyn. Um, so, so, you know, getting everything sorted out here, but this is my little room, but it, it's been very cozy moving into, to New York city. Um, I've been working a lot on cast caps, obviously, uh, been writing personal thank you letters, thank you cards to each person that backed our Kickstarter campaign. Cause I want to show my appreciation. Um, I'm also doing some more videos right now for our Instagram content and our, and our blog and all of that. Um, and honestly, just trying to enjoy the last two weeks of, freedom <laughs> before <laughs> I'm out in the corporate world, um, starting off my, my corporate career. So yeah. Um, oh, and then in terms of social media, uh, my Instagram is Erica underscore Lacasse. And then you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. And if you want to, you know, talk to me more about consulting or about entrepreneurship, I'm always, you know, happy to connect with people. So feel free. <laughs> All right. And then one last thing is what can we do to support you or Cast Caps? So as I mentioned earlier, right now, we're really focused on fulfilling the Kickstarter orders because they were our first supporters and our first customers and we made a promise to them. So they're our priority. But like I said, we're also starting a pre-order store that's going to be live shortly. So if you would like to purchase some Cast Caps or just support the company, you're more than welcome to uh, pre-order and kind of be part of the fun that way. You can also support us by liking us on Facebook at Cast Caps Kitchen or by following our Instagram, which is Cast Caps. 
Um, I try to post a lot of, you know, great recipes and recipe videos and pictures. So if you're a big foodie, uh, definitely follow the account. <laughs> Sounds great. And thank you so much. I definitely learned a lot. And it's a lot of amazing stories that even if I wasn't interested, it was just very entertaining to listen to. But I'm definitely going to be pre-ordering cast caps. I actually, when you mentioned about this, I was just I need this in my life. I just keep on having all these measuring spoons just out here and about. And then I'm just like, oh, and then and don't, oh, I don't know, it's just a mess. Like every time I just do it and it's just not coming out or it's just not giving me the right measurements, I needed this. Um, especially since I actually don't really cook that much, but I have been going into more cooking because of the quarantine. And now I'm realizing I need it more than ever. <laughs> that is a trend we've been seeing. A lot of more yep. people are, are cooking. And mm -hmm. actually the Google searches for bread has mm. been on the rise, which is also <laughs> ironic because cast caps all started, it all started with homemade bread. Mm -hmm. My dad trying to impress my mom making bread. So <laughs> circle. all right. So thank you so much. And that actually concludes our interview and all of the links down below will be bringing you into Erica's social media accounts or cast caps. Very excited to order some cast caps. Thank you so much for having me. It, it, it was really great to be able to share my story and hopefully inspire some people and, and motivate some people. So Definitely. Thank you so much.